Good morning, Lansing. It's Saturday, it's 9 a.m., and the pet experts are in the building. This is the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS and 1320WILS.com. Now, here are your hosts, Rick Pruce and Lee Cohen. Welcome, pet keepers, to this week's MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. I'm your host, Lee Cohen, here with my co-host, the pet expert himself, Mr. Rick Pruce. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Lee. Good morning to everybody out there, kind of in their their living room or in their car. and Trying any... to keep warm. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully you have a dog's tail wagging near you, you know, and that would be a good thing to have for this show, this week, this show. Um, I'm, I'm pretty excited about... Um, uh, one of our guests uh, this week, uh, Canine for Change. Uh, talk a little bit about that, Lee, because um, I think people are going to want to hear this particular local hero. Right. Well, there's no question about it. Uh, Canines for Change is an organization that was started by a former school psychiatrist or psychologist. I don't remember which, but bottom line is she worked with kids and she figured out that, you know what, there's amazing things that happen to kids when they're in the company of these animals. There's a responsibility that they take on. There is a confidence that they take on, and it makes a huge difference. So guess what Nikki did? She decided, <laughs> let's put these kids together with these dogs after we get them trained and up to speed. And guess what happened, Rick? Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. Dr. Nikki is uh, an exceptional individual willing to take that personal energy and kind of put it into, you know, what is it that people really need? And in this situation, it's not just in schools, but that's where she's landed a lot of her, you know, activities, but, you know, also if, uh, also on a personal level there, you know, she's working, she has a system set up, Canine for Change, right? It's a right. uh, 501c3 that, that allows a dog to be an assistant to somebody that has epilepsy, for instance, or, you know, name the, the physical condition for which a dog can help. And it takes a lot of energy, a lot of effort. And, you know, it's a case-by-case situation. I mean, she's not going to be able to help somebody down in Florida, but she can help Lansing. She can help Grand Ledge. She can help Brighton. Right. She can help a lot of individuals or this 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 canine for change can, right? She's, it's not just her now. Right. It's, it's, you know, literally tens and tens of people that all work together with lots of dogs to make people's lives different. Right. Well, and to make things better because of the positive results that they've generated, they're looking at opening a facility out in Diamonddale, and that will allow them to increase their training, to have live events taking place there, to increase the number of dogs that they can breed and keep in their program. It's just, it's a wonderful opportunity but we all have a role in that too because until someone else like a, a board of education decides to pay for it, we have to help her in paying for it because it's expensive. Rick, you and I have talked with some of the service dog trainers and I remember a $30,000 per dog price tag yeah. on them. So, I mean, Well, just it, go buy a 40-pound bag of dog food anymore. Right. 
well, <laughs> just exactly. say it no more. Yeah, exactly. So, but it'll be a great conversation with Nikki, and then we've got a longtime guest on with us, Jim Watling, who's going to talk all about the coral swap that's taking place at Causeway Bay tomorrow here in Lansing. So it's going to be a great show for all of you who are interested in local things going on, but that really are a big standout from this darn cold weather that (laughs) is driving some of us crazy. So please give a listen and get ready for a great show this week on the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. If you're out of the listening area, you can hear the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show live online. Go to 1320WILS.com and click on the Listen Live link. Welcome back to the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show, your number one source for information on taking care of your pets. Here are your hosts, Rick Pruce and Lee Cohen. We're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show, and Rick, we have with us on the line a returning guest. Uh, Her name is Nikki Brown, and she is the owner of a company called Canines for Change, which I believe is a 501c3. Uh, Welcome to the show, Nikki. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. Nikki, are you guys a 501c3? Yep, we are a registered 501c3 nonprofit. Okay. I'm the executive. Fantastic. And can you share with our listeners exactly what Canines for Change is? Sure. Uh, We provide service dogs and facility dogs for people in need. Um, We, in the last two years, since COVID, have increased our facility dog program, and we are now in eight schools. So our service dog program remains the same. We provide dogs for medical assistance, um, autism, seizure response, mobility assistance, and things like that for adults and children. And our facility dog program is a dog that is purchased by a school district, usually through grant funding, and that dog works for the entire building that they are placed in. We uh, match them up with a handler who's a school employee, and the handler brings them to work every day, much like a canine officer and a police department would bring their dog to work every day and then take them home to live, you know, kind of like the family pet. For the listening audience, um, you know, for these facility dogs, um, you have a little bit of experience in the you know, the value of that. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about your occupation uh, outside of this and how that ties into, I guess, your journey into kind of creating Canine for Change? Yeah, it's kind of a cool story. As I started, I'm a school psychologist in Lansing for 23 years, and I have since moved to the Grand Ledge School District um, just about three weeks ago. And in my time at Lansing, I was bringing what was my therapy dog at the time to school with me to Beekman Center. And I realized the immense um, change in the attitude of the students and their willingness to work on their special education, IEP goals for speech and language services, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and personal behavior, anxiety, and self-harm and things like that. And then down the road, we brought the classrooms for the emotionally impaired students to Beekman. And that's where I really saw a change in behavior and mental health in the students. So we use the dogs as a reward for uh, behavior plans, 
It really helped in behavior modification of the students. They were happy to work for time with the dog, uh, and it, I think it just changed the culture of the building. The staff members loved interacting with the dog. Parents started asking me about how to get service dogs for their children at home with, you know, service dogs weren't really used with children until recently. There weren't a lot of places that would give kids as young as maybe six or seven service dog because they weren't able to handle the dog by themselves independently. So we have figured out a way to be able to work with schools to do that for service dogs. And then the facility dogs, as I said, help the whole classroom. So as a school psychologist, we, I've of course recruited many teachers, special education uh, service providers, principals, superintendents to be volunteers for us and bring in that whole school experience piece so that we could deepen our program. So it, the dogs don't just go in the school for kids to pet them. That is certainly something they're used for. But our dogs are involved in academic lessons, social skill building, uh, and lots of social-emotional learning stuff. So can you tell me, uh, is this something that parallels an effort, you know, with a larger community? Are there other schools, other psych? psychiatrists or uh, that efforts that would would parallel this or just in use of dogs in school type settings is there like do you go to a conference where everybody learns more about how you can use these animals or has this been a more personal journey I am aware of uh, only one other program that's doing what we're doing and it's through the New York Department of Education it's called their comfort dog program their program is a little bit different than ours, but it's run by the Department of Ed. And, uh, you know, that kind of parallels our stuff with using the dogs for academics and behavior. But the way that we provide support through special education and helping write behavior plans and being in the school, helping the teachers really utilize the dog, I think is unique to us. Um, we now have dogs in uh, all the schools in Grand Ledge. Uh, all the schools, there are two dogs in each school in Jackson Northwest. We have dogs in uh, every school in Portland, uh, Potterville High School and Middle School, Capital Area Academy, um, Portland St. Pat's, East Lansing. I think I already said Okemos. There's two uh, at the middle school and high school in Okemos. So the more we grow the program, the more information we're getting. And we actually are building a facility that we hope to break ground on in the spring and my hope is that we'll be able to provide conferences like you're talking about to sort of lead the way and, and uh, you know, forging more programs like this with well, other folks. It, it, it's obvious that as it's expanded in such a large way that, you know, many, many institutions within the area for which you influence, you know, this neighborhood have embraced it, it must be a very rewarding and successful program. I know you and I know your energy and I, 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 I'm sure part of what this is all about is having, you know, good organizational structure and also a passion to make something like this happen. That being said, I would have to assume that there is an endless amount of potential for this when we're dealing with one school district for the most part and it is so well-received and, and has such great value that there's now thousands of school districts out there that, that would probably benefit by the same thing. 
Yes, we get schools um, calling every day. We've had funeral homes and child advocacy centers and counseling centers asking. Each of our dogs is trained for whatever facility um, the person is looking for. So it's not just for schools, although that is our our biggest focus right now. Uh, the success of the program is amazing. If people follow us on Facebook, there's lots of pictures and stories from um, students who and teachers who are amazed at the potential of the program and amazed at the change that they've already seen in just a short period of time. So there are amazing, amazing stories. Just pulls at your heartstrings to see the kids interacting with the dogs. It's very, very rewarding. I think our volunteers are really excited about the program and excited about the work they do when they go into the schools. Um, of course, we are always looking for volunteers to expand our programs, and the need is there since we're growing every day. Now, Nikki, what my question for you is, where do you come up with the dogs? Because it's very difficult to train them. Uh, are there certain breeds that are better for it? And do you have a breeding program together? Because uh, where Rick mentioned just now that the growth could be in the thousands, uh, the issue is you're going to need to have trainable dogs and the ability to get them up to speed relatively quickly. So how does that work? Well, I think that's where um, the building comes in. We do have our own breeding program, but unfortunately, without a facility up until now for the last 18 years, we've, we're only able to have, you know, maybe one or two at the most litters in our own breeding program because we didn't have a place to house all of the dogs. And we are always looking for puppy raisers because we need to produce so many um, capable puppies. And not every puppy is cut out to be a facility dog or a service dog. So you're right that we need tons and tons of well-trained puppies to be able to meet the need. So we have expanded our breeding program. We work with uh, a local Labrador breeder. Um, we have our own, as I said, program that we're starting with labs based on some of the success that we've had with other breeders, dogs, in our program. So we're using proven... Um, breeding stock for temperament and health and things like that. And we hope to expand that. We like to have our dogs, our breeding dogs in host homes, so they're not living in the kennel. Um, and so we're always looking for folks who are willing to be a host home. And, um, you know, we our website explains that too. But yes, we definitely, we use Labradors, we use Golden Doodles. Um, I think the Golden Doodle has been the most successful for us because of its low shedding. And kids with allergies, although Golden Doodles are not totally hypoallergenic, they are pretty much, you know, they're, they're low shedding, sometimes no shedding. We breed ours to have a very tight poodle kind of a coat. And so sometimes kids with mild allergies or moderate allergies are able to be with those dogs and not have an issue where the lab's you know, immediately cause a problem. So those are the two breeds we've had the most luck with. We also do a couple of poodles every year. We have a breeder that we've worked with for several years that's donated um, puppies to us, and those two dogs are in service. Three dogs are in service now. So it's basically golden doodles, poodles, and labs. Would you like to um, – we're, we're focusing pretty much the activities right now on schools, and we can get on to other activities that, you know – 
uh, Canine for Change works on. But in this situation, can you talk a little bit about specific uh, individual experiences that you that that the listening audience can kind of connect to as far as you know focusing not so much on the general idea that this whole concept works, but a specific case study that 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 demonstrates that. Sure. Um, on the service dog side. Uh, we provide three dogs to the Epilepsy Foundation every year, and we've done that for about eight years. So we have a long history with them, and we go back every year to see them. And one, uh, actually two of our clients in the past have been students that graduated from high school, and because of their epilepsy, they did not want to leave home and go on to college. Their parents were always with them and they were kind of in charge of their safety. So neither one of them felt like they could go off to college and live on their own. They were terrified. And the Epilepsy Foundation paired up with us. Um, both of them received a dog from us, and both of them were able to go on to college. Um, one has already graduated from college and now works for uh, a lobbyist in Pennsylvania and is doing wonderful things and tells me that if it wasn't for his dog, Lucy, he would never have even left the house to go on to college. Mm -hmm. He's not even sure that he felt comfortable going and getting a job. Um, so I, that's just an amazing story. And, uh, and when I see the things that he's doing with his life, it just is amazing that Lucy was able to provide that for him. The safety and security of knowing if I have a seizure when I'm out and about, um, she will be able to you know, go find somebody for help, the nearest person to him, and also uh, hit a button to call 911 if he is in his dorm room or if he travels, when he travels uh, to hotels, there's a button that he takes with him that Lucy can hit if he's having a seizure. She recognizes that, pushes the button, and it calls 911 for him. So he said that he feels like he's gotten his independence back that he hasn't had in many, many years. Um the other girl who's in school is at University of Pitt right now, and she is doing great. Her grades are great. She is not suffering from anxiety and panic attacks going out anymore because her dog is trained to do the same thing that Lucy was doing. So uh, I think they, the, just the, the independence that we're able to give them back with these dogs it has been life-changing. Nikki, what has changed over time because dogs have been in existence for a very long time and people have been around with issues, but all of a sudden in the last few years, it seems like they have figured out that dogs can solve a lot more problems than they ever did in the past. What caused that? You know, I often wonder about that. I know that what caused it for the schools was the push after COVID for social emotional learning dollars that the governor put into effect for schools to get programs in that provide that kind of a support. So Brighton, uh, Michigan first did this program probably, I think it's been 13 or so years. They added, uh, years ago, they added a dog every year. And I think that the the neighboring districts like the idea of having a dog and everybody knows that, you know, dogs and kids and dogs and most people in general go well together for social, emotional stuff, anxiety, uh, phobias, um, you know, de-escalating anger and things like that. So I think people are, people are taking a deeper look at that all across the board now since COVID because 
because of COVID, we're now talking a lot more about mental health things. Gotcha. I don't think that was as much of a focused on topic before. I also think that there used to be a big push in the service dog industry that unless you were blind or hearing impaired, basically deaf, you know, that you didn't need the same level of care or assistance that those people did. So it was okay for someone who was deaf or blind to have a dog. But if you had anxiety or if you uh, had PTSD or seizures or, or those kinds of things, it wasn't seen as a big of a deal. You could have somebody else help you with that. Um, but I think now people are realizing that those kinds of disabilities and issues, mental health issues, are just as deserving as folks who are blind or deaf. Right. Nikki, we need to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Nikki Brown from Canines for Change right here on 1320 WILS. It's the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. Here are your hosts, Rick Pruce, a man possessing unparalleled animal care expertise, and Lee Cohen, who's also here. It's 9.35 and we're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And we've been talking this morning with Nikki Brown, who runs a a 501c3 that's called Canines for Change. And Nikki, Rick had a question for you to start out uh, this segment. Rick, uh, your question. Well, you know, Lee, you had started with the, you know, where did this all come from and why are we all of a sudden you know, looking at dogs for these specific task-oriented activities. And I, I was hearkening back in my thoughts, uh, uh, promoted a little bit by our conversation at the break, that, you know, you go to, you look at the dog show, you know, the national dog show or whatnot, and you're just amazed at what, you know, hundreds of years of breeding excellence, if you will, has brought to the table, sometimes on a table, right. uh, these, these, these dog breeds that have all kinds of characteristics that you that just came basically from, you know, at one point a wolf, you know. Uh, I'm just curious as, the, as we look into the, like this newfound function for these dogs, not that they haven't played a, a critical role in being, you know, part of our, our, our culture, but this culture of being an assistant an, assistance animal is there is there does it make sense that there would be breeding in a different manner that might actually incorporate you know how does a dog become a better service dog genetically can you share with us your thoughts on that yeah absolutely i think over the last 25 years um and particularly in the last 10 i guess i think people are getting away from breeding a more um just strictly for looks and confirmation, and more for healthy, intelligent, task-oriented dogs. So uh, sometimes the dogs with great confirmation have uh, not such great levels of intelligence or temperament that would be sought out for working. We're very uh, picky when we select our puppies because we want to make sure of two things. One, that they're able to do the work we need them to do, the tasks, and two, that they enjoy doing it. So not every lab enjoys being next to a person all day, every day doing tasks for them. Some of them would rather be hanging out on the couch and not having jobs. Um, So we want to pick the dogs that are food motivated, that are task driven, uh, that have more energy that we can harness. 
And I think breeders are really catching on to that and breeding for that. They're starting to, instead of paying attention to just breeding the AKC champion uh, confirmation bloodlines, they're breeding working dogs. And we call working dogs dogs that are uh, competing in agility and nose work and you know, obedience and things like that, not just confirmation. So the health and confirmational structure of the dog is very important, but equally important is the level of intelligence and workability. You know what's very interesting, and I I, I was thinking about conversations we've had on the show before, for instance, German Shepherds, right? And and you, you get the idea back decades ago to develop the perfect German Shepherd, it was a functional dog. To develop the, the perfect um, Scotty Terrier, it was to develop the perfect dog to do a task. You know, even a, what was it, a, a Puffin uh, a puffin Terrier or something yeah, like that that was, that was actually the tough to, to hunt Puffins, <laughs> right. you know. And so <laughs> it's very interesting. We, we kind of went from that, which was the initial goal of, of these dogs is kind of a work mentality, to how do uh-huh. we breed it so it looks like, how does the German Shepherd look like that perfect thing on stage that that uh, that everybody wants? And the naysayers would say, hey, you know, you're getting away from what this German Shepherd was originally designed for. And now right. we're kind of like reverse engineering and we're going backwards in some conceptual back way. Back to functionality back as to, opposed to, functionality. to beauty. And, and, that, and I just find this really, really fascinating. That's exactly right. We are moving back toward the function of the breed. Absolutely. And it's got to make a happier dog, I think. I mean, it it just seems like whenever you get into these dog breeds that are actually, you know, work motivated, whether it's the dog that wants to go on the Iditarod Trail, right? It's it's a dog that loves living because it gets up, it has a task, it has a responsibility, and it has something to do. And you literally would not pay more attention to a dog than a dog that's with you every day providing you function as well as you providing them function. I think that from a, you know, like a canine health perspective, there has to be something that's in it for the dog. And I've I've got to imagine that a dog is a more balanced, healthier more active dog. They're when in a it symbiotic relationship. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. they're, they and their human are are both benefiting. And we're just talking to the choir. Maybe you could sing a little bit for us because I'm sure that's where you're <laughs> that's where you're at. Yes, we absolutely the same thing. And some dogs, particularly the golden doodle, I think, absolutely love children and they love to be playing and, you know, on the floor with the kids and all the belly scratches and all that kind of stuff. And they like to do that, you know, for the most part of the day. Our facility dogs in schools or any facility for that matter get breaks. They get nap time where they can, you know, go to their den area that the handler has provided and take a rest from all of the monotony like we do on our lunch break. But I think some dogs really like all of that kind of feedback from a large group of people, and some dogs would rather be with their one person. So we make a distinction between those two kinds of dogs, too, when we determine whether they should be service animals working for one person or a facility dog that would work with people during the day, essentially. And this kind of reminds me of a conversation I was having uh, counseling an employee that uh, we had an employee that, you know, we gave them one responsibility that involved communicating with everybody to be you know, good at their 
their job, but their real job they wanted was a passionate focus on a particular passion like, you know, uh, aquascaping tanks. And it was kind of like, maybe maybe we've got you on the wrong roster sheet, right. you know, <laughs> maybe it needs, and, and dogs are no different. And it sounds like uh, there's a huge horizon of opportunity. Like we're just scraping the surface within this last decade or so of figuring out how we can actually come up with a way in which not hundreds, but thousands of dogs can be available for hundreds of thousands of needs. Yeah, absolutely. There's much expansion that is needed in this field. And we are hoping as an organization that we're going to lead the way in doing that. I'm hoping to take the program to the Michigan Department of Education to start discussing um, you know, statewide things, modeling after New York's program. So I'm I'm hoping that that piece will grow, at least in the school districts for now. Well, and, and no doubt uh, in anything, as the, the old saying, follow the money, if there isn't financial support, it doesn't have legs. Well, and that's where I was going to go with my question, Nikki, because until you can get funds from a governmental agency uh, where they do tend to have a lot of money to spend on things like this, until then you're on your own. So how do people go about helping you so that you can afford the dogs and all of the subsequent expenses that are tied to them, the training, the ongoing care, et cetera, plus the facility. How can people help you? Well, you're right. That's a that's a big hurdle for us. And so we rely on individual and corporate sponsors. Um, with this building, we need folks to get behind. I guess the, the difference in our organization, because it's a grassroots kind of organization, is that when people donate money, we take that money and 100% of it goes into the building or the food and the vet care and the grooming and all of that stuff for the dogs that we're training and providing. So I want people to know that when we have started a newsletter, we sent out our first newsletter yesterday, actually. There's a donate button linked to the newsletter. We have a donate button on our Facebook page as well as on our website. We are constantly trying to update both of those social media outlets to an Instagram to be able to get more info out to folks. And when the building opens in the summer, we really would love to have people come and take a look and really understand what we're doing. But yeah, the financial piece, we're always looking for people who have ideas about grant funding or, um, you know, large donors. We've had some folks from Farm Bureau make considerable donations to the organization so that we're able to provide more dogs in schools. Hmm. We have to cover the cost of all of that in-house, and it is incredibly expensive. Well, Nikki, we want to thank you for all of the information you provided. It's been a pleasure to have you on. And uh, when you guys get that facility open, let us know. We'll have you on again. That would be great. Thanks so much for letting me talk about our our passion. Our pleasure. We've been speaking this morning with Nikki Brown from Canines for Change. And Rick, after the break, we're going to talk all about the coral swap that's in Lansing this weekend. You'll love it, I'm sure. We'll be back right here on 1320 WILS. Welcome back to the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. We're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And Rick, we have with us in the studio for this segment one of 
of our, I, I've, I've got to say, I don't know if he's our most frequent, but he's definitely from uh, over time. <laughs> Regular and consistent, let's put <laughs> yes. it that way, One of our, for a long period of time. There's no question he's been on with us for more than a dozen years every year because they celebrate by having the coral swap, usually in January or February, and it's a consistent great event in Lansing. It's Jim Watling who is with us, and Jim is from CaptiveReefs.com. Welcome back to the show, Jim. Thanks, Lee. It's great to be here. Oh, it's our pleasure to have you. Jim, for someone who just moved to Lansing last week and doesn't know what the Coral Swap is, can you share with them exactly what your program is? Sure. It's the uh, mid, or it's the Michigan Coral Expo, and uh, we have this annually, as you mentioned. It's this Sunday, February 5th, at the Causeway Bay uh, Hotel and Conference Center in South Lansing. Uh, what you can expect is a lot of hot corals, very colorful um, coral displays from vendors from around the, the country come in, and they set up uh, their tanks, uh, display tanks, and it's uh, it's just a lot of eye candy and a chance to, you know, get get some new pieces for your aquarium and uh, uh, some pieces that uh, you know don't necessarily uh, hit the streets around here all the time because uh, we find that corals are kind of a regional thing over over time. They uh, every uh, area needs a little inoculation of some exactly some different genetic material exactly as any beauty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, it's it's a great time. Uh, we have over thirty vendors uh, on tap uh, this weekend. We've we're kind of regrowing it back up from our COVID break a couple years ago, and I'm expecting a uh, a return to almost normal this year. So yeah, and uh, when you show up, there's um, you know it's it's a window of time uh, for a few hours, and starting that window of time, there's a long long line that waits just for the opportunity to go in there. I do want to go back a little bit. You, you've been on the show for probably 12 years, and through that, not only have you and I aged a little bit, but the idea or the concept of a swap has aged quite a bit. And, you know, back if we were talking 12 years ago, you know, it wasn't necessarily in somebody's basement, and it wasn't necessarily just swapping, but it was pretty basic and just like a, you know, a growing child over these 12 years and you look 12 years later and see the difference now it hasn't been any different with the the concept that you that you uh, have really mastered and and really worked towards making you know something that actually really provides a benefit to the public yeah it's uh it's really grown like you said uh well t 12 years ago we were probably had uh, evolved uh further than basements but back in the way back time machine uh, that's what it was. Uh, uh, Somebody would open up their house and a bunch of people would go in and open up a cooler and, and maybe share some pictures online. And it was that was how it was. But over the over time, as everything has gotten more sophisticated, now you can expect full um, display setups, uh, display tanks uh, with the reef lighting. Uh, the corals are open and happy and just looking fabulous. Um, <laughs> Putting on one of these has been quite a learning curve, I'm sure. It has. I've gotten to be uh, quite a bit better over the years of doing it, yeah. but uh, uh, always learning and trying trying new tricks and ways to improve the show. Yeah, when, uh, you wouldn't think about it, but uh, you're going to have quite a bit of square footage. Uh, do you actually know the square footage of that hall? 
Boy, well, off the top of my head, I'm it's not big. sure. Let's yeah, just it's say a, it's, it's a big a, conference it, hall. It's a huge and, hall. And uh, it goes from an empty room to something filled with, you know, probably, I don't know, maybe 50,000 gallons. I don't know how many gallons of water are we talking about. But nonetheless, there's just an amazing display on there within a few hours. Yeah. Yeah, probably not that that many gallons. Uh, a lot of these tanks, these vendors uh, are on kind of a the national vendors that we have coming in are on a circuit. Even even the guys that are more local that are doing the show, I do six other shows around the state a year, mm-hmm. and so they've they've got fairly sophisticated setups that are. You know, the, the less water you can carry around right. with you, the easier it is. <laughs> it's heavy. It's so, heavy. And, Absolutely. And, yeah, to, to make sure we don't have yeah. table failures and things like that. We yeah, put, or put heart some, attacks. Put, put some restrictions on the amount of water they can have out there. Absolutely. But uh, I'd say it's 30 to 50 gallons uh, for, per, 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 each, table. per yeah, table. Per table. So tell me a little bit, um, what what are you excited about to for people to see this year? Oh boy, it's it's just uh, I mean the the like like we've been talking about the displays are just uh, improving every year. The quality of of uh, coral pieces and the health of them are so much better. There'll be a few vendors that'll have some fish there, and those will be swimming around in tanks and and uh, you know available for people to purchase and and take a look at. And then you have some factory representative, right? Right, right. We've got that want to like tell the public what their products are all about. Yeah, we've got a a few of those this year. Um, As our show has grown, we've gotten more and more attention from the manufacturers. This year, we've got Coral View. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a big, big time company that's. uh, uh, they're going to be wrapping out their new Hydros controller system, and we've yeah. we've got one of those available in a raffle uh, for people. Um, there's uh, tickets that you get when you every paid admission gets some tickets at the door um, for that. And um, we have Fritz Aquatics. They they make various uh, additives and salts for sure. for uh, the the hobby and Seachem uh, as well, which is a very big outfit, and they they also do the additives and salts and things like that. It's very fascinating, and I think anybody that you know hasn't ever attended something like that, and may even just be thinking about a saltwater tank, it's it's an interesting atmosphere for which you you know can't do anything but come back with your jaw dropped and in a sense of amazement. Uh, it's 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 really fascinating, and it's a culture, you know, and you've. You've helped foster a culture of people that come together and, you know, in a sense of, uh, you know, there's not a lot of, you know, when you get that many people in the building, it could be difficult with, uh, you know, the way different people are. But it seems like in the reef hobby, anyhow, these guys all get along. Yeah, it's uh, it's a real uh, friendly community. It's pretty, you know, it's not a not a huge hobby overall. And uh, you kind of get to know each other. uh, if you come to these swap meets uh, uh, in the state, uh, like I said, we have several in-state vendors, and it's sure. often several of the same vendors. So you you know eventually get to have a fav- favorite vendor. But if you're a new a new hobbyist, I would recommend checking out the show, or if you're interested in learning more about uh, reef aquariums, because it you can't help but come away with a, a high level of excitement. I think. Yeah, it's, right, right. It's just pure right. eye candy. Yeah. And, uh, well, and for everyone who doesn't know, I mean, think about it. If you were going to plant a garden, and some things were growing too much, and you didn't have enough room for other stuff, so you could go through and do a cutting off of what you had too much of, <laughs> and trade 
traded for something that you didn't have, and now you've got a diversified, beautiful garden. It's and a, you're doing the same thing for uh, coral reef tanks. You know, it's kind of a, a the farmer's market, if you will. <laughs> yeah, it you is. Know, yep. of, of coral keeping. And uh, that the thing, even from um, you know our store and our perspective, we've supported it in many ways uh, over the years. For sure but, you but, have. But, but we uh, we like the fact that there's people that, haven't come into our store for a year, <laughs> one year, and they show up at the frag swap and they do their their fun, you know, swapping or coral buying or just eye candy looking, and then they stop in and it's like we get to see old friends again and again there, and we'll be we offer uh, some you know day of the event uh, if you go to the swap discounts, uh, you know, little coupon that the pe- people can come back in. But what I really enjoy about it is just it actually, you know, furthers the reef hobby in ways that uh, you never expect. You know, it's just a, it's a fun, engaging, you know, what's this whole thing about? You know, fantastic celebration of corals. It is. It's uh, it's the it's one of the high points of my year to have this do this show yeah, and, and uh, bring it all together. Lansing's one of you. You said you had several, but Lansing's probably one of your largest. It's the it is the largest by by quite a bit. This time of year is uh, I guess we could call it reefing season. People yeah. spend a lot of time looking at their their bright tanks, their tropical tanks when it's cold this time of year. So so it's very well attended. So this and is Reef Week. It's Reef <laughs> Reef Week exactly. Yeah, uh, you know, show up on Sunday and get. Get a little taste of the tropics. It'll be yeah. uh, warm and and colorful in the in the uh, conference hall. So, Jim, let's go over the logistics because we don't have much time. What time is it at? Where is it at? Uh, when does it begin? When does it end? Okay. How much does it cost? All right. So it's uh, as I mentioned, it's at Causeway Bay Hotel and Conference Center. It's at sixty eight twenty Cedar Street, and it starts at noon, goes till four o'clock. Admission is $10 a person at the door, uh, cash only, please. We don't uh, have a credit card machine there. Uh, and kids are free, 16 and under, kids are free. We encourage uh, getting youth into the hobby and and hopefully, uh, you know, interested in the conservation and all that stuff that kind of comes comes with uh you know, owning a reef reef aquarium. Fantastic. Well, Jim Watling, thank you so much for coming in. It was good to see you again this year. Good luck with this year's swap. And we hope that it will go well and we'll see you again next year. We've been talking with Jim Watling, who is with CaptiveReef.com, and uh, we'll talk again. And, Rick, I'm sorry to say time has flown. So on behalf of our producer, Bruce Warner, and my partner, Rick Proust, this is Lee Cohen. Have a great week, everybody. 